Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. All right, two of my favorite guests here coming up in the next hour. I'll be Dane Fife at 9 o'clock, IU and Michigan State. Certainly, Dane, a lot of history of both those programs. Um, he joins us, I guess, 12 hours before tip-off, 9 a.m., with the 9 p.m. tip coming tonight in East Lansing. But right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is Joe Wrights, um, one of the finest athletes the state has ever produced. And you hear him on the Colts pregame show and also Colts Monday night during the season. Our first time chatting with Joe here in the off season, Joe, thank you for the time, as always. Um, let's just begin with the hire of Shane Steichen. Your thoughts leading into the coaching search, what were you hoping to see from the Colts, and what do you like or have questions about with Shane Steichen? Yeah, well, Kevin, it's great to be on and to hear that I'm one of your favorite guests. That, uh, that makes me happy here on this wonderful fat Tuesday morning that we have. Um, but I, I, I think as we, as we go to, to coach, I'm excited. Again, I don't know him, you know, don't know him personally. I think he's got some great endorsements from some guys I have a lot of respect for. I mean, when Phillip Rivers gives you a ring endorsement and you're able to coach him and you're four to five years younger than Phillip, I think that's awful impressive. And I actually talked to Ben Igelana, um, a name that Colts fans will remember, you know, Ben and I played together. He's actually a scout with the Eagles now. And I talked to Ben about him, and he said, you know, Shane is awesome. And he was ranting and raving. He goes, but the biggest thing, Joe, I thought Shane was like 42 or 43. You know, he's my age. He's 37. But clearly he carries himself older. And I think when I watch the press, great offensive mind and quarterback development, which obviously we're going to need in Indianapolis, I think, too, a high degree of emotion – and I think that's going to be good for this ball club. And I think three, accountability. And to me, the accountability piece is probably the most important. I just think for the Colts and to get the winning culture back that we've experienced in Indianapolis for so, so long, they need a higher degree of accountability you know, within the locker room on a day-to-day basis with players, coaches, and everybody in that building. You know, Joe, one of the things to me that was intriguing about him, and I want your thought on this, about Shane Steichen. We talked about this with Rick Venturi as well. When you look at the quarterbacks he's worked with, you know, Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, obviously Jalen Hurts, to me that says that that gives them, the Colts, a little bit of flexibility in this quarterback class. In other words, you're not pigeonholing yourself of we have to get quarterback X because they run the system that this guy runs. That, to me, is a pretty versatile list of quarterback skill sets, which means that there is some flexibility from Shane Steichen in terms of what he can bring out of a quarterback based on that quarterback's style as opposed to forcing them to play his style. You agree with that? A hundred percent. It's three unique, different quarterbacks that are all very good, and one's a Hall of Famer, and you have three different type of offenses. To, to go to a basketball analogy, you know, Bob Knight was going to run motion offense and play man-to-man defense. And in my opinion, hard to argue that, that he's the best coach ever. But you know, he wasn't changing any of that. And there's certain NFL coaches that say, this is our system, this is what we're going to do. And there's others that are going to say, we're going to be flexible, 
We can evolve from season to season. We can evolve from game to game. And I think that Shane is going to be one of those guys that you give me X quarterback with a skill set, we're going to build the offense around you. We're going to go in and play this game. We can evolve and be kind of a week-to-week type game planning thing. So I'm excited to see his offensive mind with the different people that he's been around to put his own twist on things. But again, the quarterback development piece is going to be the key. And whoever the Colts decide to draft in the draft coming up in a couple months, that's really going to be key because the bottom line is, you know, we've had inconsistent, you know, quarterback play really since, you know, Andrew retired. And you've got to have a guy that you can count on and build around for the future. Who that guy's going to be, I don't really know. I don't watch enough college football to have strong opinions. I think all three guys have some positives. All three guys have some negatives, so it's going to be interesting to me as this scouting process goes on, combine here in Indy next week, which is great, who the Colts have in their saddle, so to speak, when we come to the draft in late April. Again, Joe Wrights is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, I want to go back to that accountability word that you used earlier. That was something that Shane Steichen mentioned a week ago today in his opening presser as maybe the biggest thing he learned from Nick Sirianni. When you think about the word accountability, how much of that is staff-to-player-driven and how much of that needs to be player-to-player-driven within the locker room? It's a combination of both, but I'm a big believer, Kevin, that Good teams can be coach-driven. Great teams have to be player-driven. And I think the leadership, the accountability in locker room is so important. But I also am a believer that, you know, coaches need to bring that on a daily basis too. And whether it's coming from coach, whether it's coming from player, obviously the ideal combination is is some of both. That's, I think, what really has uh, been lost. And that's that's crumbled a little bit over the last couple years. And, again, I don't know what the answer is. But I do think him talking about accountability and preaching that, and that's what he learned from Nick Sirianni. The bottom line is the one thing I know from playing nine years and being around a bunch of guys, guys want to be coached hard because guys want the coaches to push them to a position they can't get on their own and take them to that next level. And everybody in the NFL wants to be the very best player they can be. And in my opinion, the easiest way to that, the most surefire way is from tough, accountable coaching where you're really on pins and needles on a daily basis. It's not the most fun play. Believe me, it's not the most fun to have angst and anxiety in your stomach or your brain or your mind day in, day out when you walk into the building because you don't want to get ripped by the coach for not performing. But guess what? It also forces you to the very highest standard that you can be and helps you become the best player. Joe, is there a, a balance? I guess Joe Wrights is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. From a player's standpoint – is there a balance of understanding that being pushed, but also not allowing it to then create resentment or a pushback of, you know what? I, I, I get it, man. I'm a professional. I make a lot of money. I've done this a long time. And then just naturally tuning a guy out. And is that actually happened with guys? And that's why you see coaching changes every four or five years. Yeah, it, it's a hard line. It, it's a really fine line, but I think the best coaches – are able to get through to everybody on the roster and know that you know, you're not going to coach everybody individually. If it's a rookie versus a 12-year veteran, that's a different story. Some guys are more highly charged emotionally than other guys. You understand as a coach and you really figure out, how can I best maximize you know, player A and player B's performance on a daily basis? But I do think the best coaches I've been around have been those ones that are highly accountable, but you know they're doing it from a place of love. 
and you know they're doing it because they generally want what's best for you, not what's best for them in their coaching career. It's kind of that transactional versus transformational coaches, and I think that's where, uh, you know, it sounds like that Shane has a lot of those qualities, you know, and obviously you hope that things uh, unfold that way over time within the Colts locker room, but I'm a big believer of that that fine line is really where you got to be as a coach, but I do think that, to your point, players don't care what you know till they know how much you care. And you have to understand and get through to players that this is out of love, this is out of good for you and for the team, and nothing that I say is personal, even though I might coach you really hard. And, and that's hard sometimes as a player. You think, well, this is kind of getting personal, but it, it's that ability and, and everybody's got to be in that same, um, that same level of trust. Everything's got to come down to you have to have that trust player to coach, coach to coach, player to player, so that you know you can take hard criticism and accountability and not get personal about it and use it to be a positive, not a negative. Joe, it was Kevin actually got this question out of this answer out of Shane Steichen at his press conference where he said that he will be Shane Steichen as the head coach, the guy that is calling plays offensively. We now know that Jim Bob Cooter is the offensive coordinator. Jim Bob, baby's back. How about that? I mean, and trust me, you think we haven't been excited to be able to say Jim Bob Cooter every day? But well, did you I, know I, him at uh, all, Joe? I, yeah, so I was with Jim Bob for two years. He was an offensive assistant in 2010 and 11 when I was here and got to know him pretty well because he did a lot of the scouting stuff. So he'd be drawing up all the cards and get to know him. Great guy. Uh, I would say uh, really, really, really good football mind. I mean, you could tell how sharp he was. It's obvious him and Peyton had a strong connection, and there's a reason that you know Peyton Manning brought him out to Denver with him a couple years later. But I'm excited to see Jim Bob back in the fold for sure, and I think he'll be a valuable asset to this offense. Well, so I wanted you to offer some perspective, Joe, as a guy that's been in offensive meetings your entire career, obviously. Tell me the role of an offensive coordinator if it's an offensive coordinator that is not calling the plays. So their their responsibilities – you know, we on the outside think offensive coordinator, that's just the guy on the sidelines with the little sheet that's covering his mouth and he's calling the plays. If he's not – if he doesn't have that responsibility – then the other stuff that goes into it is what? And is it, from a player standpoint, is there any concern of a head coach also taking on the play-calling responsibility? So two questions for you there. Yeah, I, I don't think from a player concern there is because who are the two teams in the Super Bowl? You know, Andy Reid calls the plays and Sirianni calls the plays. So that's a pretty easy argument right there. Um, but I do think that so Jim Bob, you know, he'll be in a ton of game prep putting the game plan together and you know I don't know how it's going to work inner workings but I would imagine hey this is the the game plan that we would put in what do you like about it what do you not even on game day suggestions here's our first 10 15 call sheet and then it's up to you know Shane on game day to figure out what he wants to roll with but I do think you've seen that model happen more and more in the NFL especially in the offensive side of the ball where the offensive coach is calling the plays he's the head coach and the coordinator He's there to support him in all those other different roles. But I am excited for Jim Bob. I do think he did some good things in Detroit. Again, I think his he's, he's borderline a brilliant offensive mind in terms of his memory, his recall, and, and I would imagine they'll be very collaborative in terms of what they're putting together You know, to roll out the offense Sundays at 1 o'clock. Getting three years calling the plays for Jim Bob Cooter up in Detroit. Joe Wright's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, um, the offensive line issues last season, well-documented. You know, if you look at it from a starting standpoint, nobody's a free agent on the offensive line. The Colts could bring back their entire 
O-line. If I gave you just kind of a blank slate and, you know, you were in charge of the O-line this offseason, how would you react to the personnel up front? You know, who, who would you give kind of starting spots to in Sharpie? Who would you say, all right, we need to add some competition here? How would you handle the O-line? Yeah, I mean, I would probably roll with the five guys that finished the season. I think that, you know, left tackle and right guard, you know, I think Will Fries did a nice job. I think Ryman, he's in a tougher position at left tackle. I really thought he battled. I really thought he got a lot better. Of all the five guys on the O-line, I thought that, you know, I think his arrow is really pointing up the most in terms of, you know, his career unfolding. And I think he'll continue to get better. I also think, we do our left tackles a disservice oftentimes and leave them on an island too much and say, well, we'll just let them go battle. Well, that's all fine and dandy. So you give up a sack or a hurry in the fourth quarter and end the game. And, and we've seen that story, unfortunately, unfold here for too long. So I'm hopeful that, you know, Shane will give him some more help and make things more advantageous to build up his confidence. But I do think he's going to be a player. But I think there, there's really a lot of reasons why the offensive line struggled last year. A lot of it comes down to the lack of a running game, the lack of Jack Doyle, who I still say we, we made a mistake in not having somebody to fill his void better. He just blocks so well and does so much different things that none of our tight ends on the roster could do. That hurt our running game. But the lack of a downfield passing game. You know, we had to have no downfield passing game, so people were playing tighter and tighter and guys in the box. And there's no threat to play action, throw it over your head for 50 yards. And I'm excited to hopefully bring back the deep ball this year. But the bottom line about the offensive line, I'm going to go to one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it's the law of the jungle. You know, the strength of the wolf is the pack, and the strength of the pack is the wolf. It doesn't matter the five guys. It does because you got to have talent, but it's not five guys playing as one unit. And I feel like because of the differences, the different combinations, the lack of success we have, we didn't have that pack mentality as an offensive line that some of these past Colts teams have had. And to me, Kevin, that's the most important thing is to get kind of that pack mentality back with the Colts O line. So were there guys on the line that were selfish? No, no, I don't I didn't say that and, and I wouldn't say that. I think it's a matter of when things start going south and they start crumbling. And again, they had what, six or seven different offensive line combinations. You just don't have that same level of trust for the guys you're with. The best offensive line I played on was the year we went to the AFC championship game. I was at right tackle. I wasn't a great right tackle. Lance Lewis was a right guard. You know, he was a holdover. He had been cut four or five times. You know, we had Jack Newhart. We had Colin Holmes, and we had Costanzo. We weren't the five most talented guys. We weren't the best five guys. But for some reason, we came together, and we had a great trust, understanding, you know, and and we just kind of played together better. And, again, offensive line is about one unit. It's not about five guys. The Colts got to get that one-unit mentality Joe, can can that be created – and this is such a, a a novice question, admittedly. But offensive line itself, can you patch things or solidify things a little bit with schematic change? Or is it the one unit in football that really is just about the camaraderie of understanding and knowing the feel of where your teammate is at all times and simply having that time to work with one another? No, it's definitely both. And schematically, you know, if you have more offensive weapons, and again, if we're able to throw the ball downfield more and just loosen up things and get some points on the board. The other thing about O-line that it, it, people don't necessarily think about, when you're behind like the Colts were 10, 15 points every game, what do you do? You go into the second half, you got to throw it every down. 
And then O-lines get destroyed generally by D-lines because they're pinning their ears back and they're a track stance and they're just getting after the quarterback. Those are hard games to be in. Those are not fun games to be in. So I just think overall offensive improvement will help the offensive line more than any other position group. Joe, we'll end with this, and I know you have a lot of fond sports memories um, in your career from an individual standpoint. I know this maybe wasn't the result you were hoping for, but one of my kind of early-ish memories is a, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on these details, was it a sectional final on a Monday night at Carmel High School for you guys playing A.J. Ratliff and company, or am I I imagining things? The North Central girls team was in the state championship. Shout out, Jake. I know you're excited. So they moved the sectional from Saturday night to Monday night. We played at Carmel Gym. We lost. Uh, I didn't play particularly well. We actually did a good job on AJ, who was Mr. Basketball, and Tony Pasley went to Tennessee and Wisconsin-Milwaukee. But there was some freshman named Eric Gordon who had like 20 on us. And I'm like, man, freshman really hurt Mm -hmm. us. You come to find out that guy might have been pretty good. But, uh, no, we had some great teams at HSE and – you know, this time of year, right, sectional basketball is always so excited for the state. I couldn't wait to watch the draw and, you know, get things going. And it's uh, it'll be an exciting time here in a couple of weeks with hoops in the state of Indiana like it always is. And let's talk college basketball. I know you were talking about Dane Fife, who slightly is below me in terms of your favorite guest, Kevin. Um, huge game for Indiana. And bottom line, Northwestern's <laughs> in second place right now. But Purdue and Indiana are the two best teams in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Uh, I think Purdue's a, a step or two ahead of IU. But, boy, it's fun for me as a college basketball fan when the two best teams in a 14-team conference are Purdue and IU because that's what I grew up on, right? Gene Cady and Bob Knight in the, you know, mid-'90s to early-2000s battles that they've had. It'll be a super fun one for fans in Mackey on Saturday. I know IU's got a Michigan State tonight. will be a tough game. But, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday – you're a fan of basketball in this state. I mean, that energy is just going to be just buzzing when you get to that game Saturday at 730. Joe, I want to wrap with you. Joe Wrights is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, and I appreciate the time this morning. And I know that what I'm about to ask you, you've gone over 10,000 times. But for the person listening that has not heard any of those previous 10,000, I have always felt that, you know, I see more and more now, Joe, people that have their eight-year-old kid in the batting cage all winter long and people that are like sending their kid out to play basketball year round. And I understand kids enjoying sports, but there are so many players at the upper levels that benefited from playing not specified in one sport, but having the versatility, the footwork, the movement, the all of it, of the versatile background of multiple sports. How did you, when you were playing at Hamilton Southeastern, getting ready to play college basketball, did you ever envision that you would be an NFL lineman? And how did that transformation come about? How was it pitched to you? And how did basketball help you on the football field? Yeah, well, well, great question. And for me, basketball helped immensely with the football because of the footwork. You operate in tight areas, and I played in the low post. And the combination of having the strength and the toughness that football brings helped me on the basketball court. And the combination of quick feet and movement and operating in tight spaces helped me on the football field. And I'm such a big believer in playing multiple sports if you're able to. 30 of the 32 first-round draft picks last year in the NFL played multiple sports in high school. And the bottom line is all of your studs, right, your studs that are going on to play in college, in the pros, 
they almost always play more than one sport because here's the bottom line. The most important trait, the most important trait in being a great athlete is competitive greatness. That's what John Wooden talks about at the top of his pyramid. It's the ability to be at your best when your best is needed. And just going out and compete. And this is the last thing I'll say. I hear all the time players and coaches, well, we played hard, we played hard. There's a big difference in playing hard and competing. And the very best athletes, they compete every single play. And that's what you get from playing more than one sport. And to your point, specialization, or even in my opinion, just water down where you play seven AU games in a weekend. Well, we lose a game, we go to McDonald's, what time's the next game? There's no competition in that. And that's what one thing that we try to develop in our athletes and our own kids is that ability to know you got to go out and give your very best, but you got to compete day in and day out. Those are the guys that end up being, you know, your professional athletes in the future. There's a reason why Indiana All-Star here in basketball and obviously had a very accomplished career in the NFL as well. One of the finest athletes the state and individuals the state has ever produced. Joe, thanks for the time, my man. Hope the family is doing well. Enjoy the Fat Tuesday, and uh, we'll chat with you later in the offseason. Yeah, sounds great. We'd love to get back on when we get into free free agency time and draft, and uh, there's a lot of hope and excitement for this Colts franchise, and uh, I'm definitely in line with – sharing that view that the future is bright here. Joe Wright's right there. Thank you, Joe, on the Payless Liquors hotline. Dane Fife joins us in about five, eh, maybe seven minutes.